Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You're listening to the best of Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamia. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. Continuing our conversation on blatant media bias. I mean, it's, it's so important that you're aware of this, especially, well, just in everyday life, because oftentimes we make decisions based on what we see and hear in the media. And if we don't have the correct information, it could be devastating in more ways than one. And someone who knows that all too well is our guest, Joseph Vasquez, associate editor for the Media Research Center Free Speech America. Joseph, I was just talking about another story, which ties directly into what we're going to be discussing this morning in terms of the, the agenda-driven media. Uh, it's, it's just off the charts. It, it, it's so bad. I have to say, someone who's been in the industry for 42 years, half of that, which was in the secular media as a reporter and anchor, I've never seen it this bad. And now it's not just in the news media. But it's even in general searching on the Internet. I want to get to that in a second. But the story I was I was discussing before you came on with us was the coverage of the secular media of the Maryland school district, Rockville, Maryland, where a federal judge has ruled that parents can't opt their kids out of certain lessons in the schools. Now, the way the media cover it, it's only three families because three families are involved in the suit. It's just really bad that they even complain because it's simply, you know, books about LGBTQ characters, nothing harmful. And yet, at the end of the day, if you take a look at what kind of books and to whom they are presenting this material, we're talking about pre-K and fifth graders. We're talking about parents from all sorts of religious and secular backgrounds who are against this, not being able to opt out. And you would know none of that if you just listened to the secular media. I mean, this is getting to the point Joseph, where it's very difficult to trust anybody in the secular media, especially on stories like this. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Teresa. Thanks for having me. But no, you're right. I mean, I think there's just one word to describe, you know, just the trend that we're seeing, especially on that front, would be which is straight up satanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, and, you know, you just see, you know, that they're really trying to, 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 to force this crazed gender ideology onto children. I mean, but you know, it, it, I mean, for goodness sakes, I mean, this is this is you know, this is a this is a Rubicon cross that is just they're they're not even hiding anymore. They're just they're shoving it in your faces, and and you're absolutely right. It's not just the way the media is covering this, because of course the media loves this. They love that whole you know trans uh, you know trans movement and also you know the, the sexualization of children, which is just absolutely disgusting and grotesque. And, you know, but also when it comes to you hit the nail right on the head when you said it's not just news media we got to be worried about anymore. It's also, it's also big tech. It's also you know what we're looking at on the internet. And I can tell you what you know what Google is doing. You know, going into the presidential election is just downright dystopian given how powerful it is. I mean, we found at the Media Research Center that Google has been suppressing the campaign websites of Republican candidates for president while elevating their elevating uh, Democratic um, Democratic opponents. I mean, this is this is something that we observed that that Google had done during the Senate race in 2022 in the midterm. They're actively trying to interfere in our elections and to influence what people see. It's everywhere now. I mean, you know, so they'll show you the information they want you to see, whether it be on, on LGBT, whether it be on elections, whether it be on COVID-19, you name it. You know, but then stuff that goes against the narrative, they will suppress that. 
And, of course, you know, Republican candidates and conservatives on the right, they're trying to make sure that you don't see that information. It's just downright terrifying. It's straight out of the, the pages of Orwell's 1984. Yeah, it absolutely, absolutely is. Terrifying. Give us an example of how you did this, this particular report, looking at what Google does in terms of candidates. Well, what we wanted to do is that we wanted to qualify for any kind of search history or cookies that could influence a search. So what we did was that we created a clean environment with our own algorithm that allows us to automate this process. And what we did was that we just used, a key, we just used keywords. We just used a word like presidential campaign website. And the search, and when we use that search term in a clean environment, not influenced by search history and cookies, the search engine did not display a single Republican candidate on its first page of results the day before the first Republican Party presidential primary debate. And here's the funny thing. President Joe Biden, he was the second result. And he was tied along with Marianne Williamson's campaign as, you know, uh, he, he was up there with Marianne Williamson, Williamson, who was the fifth result. But here's where it gets even more ridiculous. Google, when you search, for, when you search presidential campaign websites, also showed the campaign website of past failed Democratic Party candidates who are not even running this cycle. One of them being Bernie Sanders, the other one being Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton, and the other one being Elizabeth Warren. But none of the current Republican Party presidential candidates on page one. They all got shoved off to the next pages. And if you know how Google works, the majority, the vast majority, I think it's over 70 percent or something like that, of the, of the click results or for the first six results on, Google, on, on page one. And, that, and if you get pushed down to the bottom of the page two, no one's going to be looking at your, at your website. So it's downright terrifying. This is a trend that we observed them doing in the 2022 midterm. They're revving it up for 2024, and people have to call out these big tech companies. They're, they're going to do it again. What they pulled in 2020, what they pulled in 2022, they're going to pull it again in 2024. And it's, this, this is going to make what happened in the previous election look like a firecracker. This is, good, this is going to be the big one. We're talking with Joseph Vasquez, associate editor for the Media Research Center's Free Speech America. So what do we as citizens, everybody should be upset about this. I don't care what, what party uh, with whom you align yourself, whether you're Republican, independent, Democrat, whatever. You should be concerned because in a free country, we're supposed to be able to have access to information. And the Catholic Church says this very clearly in the catechism. And, and the media have an obligation to give people the truth and the facts. So what do we do about this? Because it, everybody goes to Google. Google it. That phrase is there for a reason. Well, I mean, well, number one, I mean, look, look what Jim Jordan's doing. Contact the representatives. You've got to drag these CEOs, drag their butts inside Congress and get them and get their face, have them answer questions before the public. What Jim Jordan has done, exposing Twitter and its involvement with the FBI when it came to suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, that needs to be happening over and over again, whether it be with Zuckerberg from Facebook or whether it be or whether it be with uh, Sundar Pichai from Google, get these, give them a, you know give give them time in front of a national audience to try to explain themselves. Let the people see. And I would tell your I would tell your your listeners, do your own research. Don't trust big tech. Do not trust the me news media to get the information that you need, especially going into this election. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, doesn't matter. Do your own research. Be proactive because these giants don't think that you can think for yourself. They want to think for you. Right. They want to be the ministry of truth. So the only way to combat that is by showing them that you are an independent thinker capable of doing your own research and coming to your own conclusions, not the, pre, the pre-existing axiomatic positions of these leftist tech, uh, tech companies from Silicon Valley. Show them that you are a free-thinking individual and can do the research yourself. That's it's how so, you, you beat that Google. 
It's so funny you should say this because myself and a fellow co-host here on Ave Maria Radio, Vanessa Denhagarmo, also in the media for years, and she has a midday show here called Epiphany, and we talk about this all the time. People, I mean, we sound like broken records, right? Do your own research. Be your own reporter. Do your own research. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Joseph, we say that until we're blue in the face. Talk about cliches. But it's so true. It is true. It is true. I mean, you know, because what... Because think about it, freedom of speech, the freedom to think, you know, independently and not having government think for you. I mean, you know, that that's what that's what makes the American people so strong. We don't have like, we, we've always ascribed to this idea that people with differences can coexist peacefully. And the thing is, we're independent. We can think freely. We can speak freely. But ever since, you know, the, the, 20, the 20th century onward into the 21st century, there was this growing apparatus in Washington, D.C., that telling people that the government can provide everything for you, whether it be health care, whether it be, you know, whether it be, um, whether it be, uh, whether it be social safety nets, whether it be, it, it, now they're telling you that they can think your thoughts for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. it, it, so when, when does it stop? When is the red line drawn and saying that it can't cross? Well, we go back to what James Madison said in Federalist 48, that power is of an encroaching nature. Washington has tasted power over, you know, using big tech companies to silence free speech, and they are not going to surrender. They tasted it, they love the taste, and they're going to be going for more. That's why the American people need to stand and fight back and make their voices heard in this election. Make your voices heard in Washington. Make your voices heard in the state legislatures. Show them that you are, that, that, that you are holding them accountable, because guess what? They serve, the, the, our representatives, they serve us, not the other way around. So it's about time we, we, hold, we hold true to that standard. Here's my concern. I don't want to end this on a bad note. We only have uh, f- uh, about three minutes, but I'd love, love you to weigh in on this. My concern is someone, and you know this too as, as a media expert, is that the stories that you just mentioned are being covered by outlets like ours and, and Fox News and other conservative outlets, uh, the National Review, the Daily Signal, Daily Wire and whatnot. But those very, very important stories and even the testimony, for example, on July 27th, there was an incredible House Judiciary Committee hearing. Uh, regarding transgender issues and several women including Chloe Cole who is detransitioning talked about the horrific experience and how she was pressured into this and the mistake that it was those powerful witnesses and there were even people on the other side of the issue they did not get very much coverage outside your typical conservative or religious media my concern is that enough people are not seeing these stories including the one you're talking about this morning Joseph well, the left is very good at being loud when it comes to the issues that they care about. The question is, is that, you know, the, 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 the onus upon us is to be even louder. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. So the thing is, if they're going to be loud, we have to be louder. We have to, you know, to be even more intentional uh, because the left is very good at this. They're very good at organizing. They're very good at calling and, 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 and you know, and just harassing, you know, uh, legis- uh, legislators on their phones. But guess what? We need to be intentional because these are our children on the line. This is our children's future on the line. What kind of country are we going to leave them? Are we going to leave them the United States that we grew up in with a, con- with a constitutional republic where we have guaranteed freedoms under the Constitution? Or are we going to give them dystopia right out of the pages of Orwell's 1984 right. where the Ministry of Truth and, and God knows what? I mean, so it, it's incumbent. Now is the time to make our voices heard and to speak loud and not be silent. Well, and also we can do that peacefully, which which we always do for the for for 99 percent of the time. There's always people on both sides of the aisle who are going to be extreme and God forbid use violence. But we can do this if we learn how to use the media 
wisely and to use it well and to get out there to take advantage of all of our platforms and to make exactly sure right. we're sharing stories that are accurate and that are true that people may not hear. For example, I just did a, a report right before you came out about a story out of Denmark now that Denmark, liberal Denmark, which was going full speed ahead with the transgender surgeries and the puberty blockers is now pulling back just like many other countries because they see that they haven't been treating these kids properly right and that story is barely anywhere in the news except again on a few conservative sites so take that story post that story share it with people what do you think of this tweet about it those kinds of things this is a secular story not from any conservative site this is from a medical journal right and so these are the kind of things that we have to get out there and we should be able to use the media as well as the other side does Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's about you, about sharing information, continuing to share it on social media, send it to your friends, because information is power. Knowledge is power. Let, you know, share it with your friends. Do your own research. Do independent research. See what's going on, you know, especially when it comes to the transgender movement. I mean, it, it, it's, it's coming for our children. We need to be vigilant and make sure that this kind of this, this, this satanic vendetta against our kids you know, it, it stops. It only yeah. stops when we are intentional about it. Joseph, thanks. Thank you for the information. A reminder to, as Joseph said, do your own homework and make sure you're checking a variety of sources, we always say here on Catholic Connection. We'll be right back. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I said to the churches one day, what do you think you're going to look like in heaven? Oh, some of them had absolutely magnificent ideas. I didn't think of one of them. So I got desperate because then my turn came. I didn't know what to say. And so in desperation, I said, what do you think I'll wear in heaven? And they all said with one voice, armor. (laughs) EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. All men are called to work, but for many, work is a grind where we struggle to survive for the sake of our families. A new Heroic Men Summit calls all men to set aside two hours on Saturday, September 9th. Join three powerful Catholic businessmen, including Matthew Kelly, who will discuss how work can bring freedom, meaning, and growth in holiness. Let's do more than bring Christ to the workplace. Let's discover him already there. This is the gospel of work. Register free today at HeroicMen.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Father Benedict Groeschel. I often go back to my childhood. In church, we love to be reverent, to Christ present in the Eucharist, to Christ on the cross. But I was also impressed by the reverence of my friends in the Salvation Army. They had a little band. 
and I used to walk past the band on Sunday morning on my way to church. And I was just a child, but I said, you know, they're trying to pray to God. They're showing reverence to God. All this was reverence. Now what do I see? I hear one irreverence after another. And week after week, month after month, the media churns out things that make fun of religion in general and make fun of Christianity in particular and particularly make fun of the Catholic Church. No class. Absolutely no class. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. This came out just last week. Denmark joins a list of countries that have sharply restricted youth gender transitions. We talked about this as well in my Fact Check Friday, along with a couple of other stories. A major medical journal, the Journal of the Danish Medical Association, confirming there has been a marked shift in the country's approach to caring for youth with gender dysphoria. Most youth referred to the centralized gender clinic no longer get a prescription for puberty blockers, hormones, or surgery. Instead, they receive therapeutic counseling and support. What a concept. To comment on this is something that she has always said is needed, not puberty blockers or, God forbid, dangerous surgery, but to sit down and to find out what's really going on with these folks who say they are struggling with possible gender dysphoria. Meg, good morning. Thanks for joining us. So here we are in Europe. We have a number of very progressive places, including Denmark. Uh, It happened in Norway, also Sweden. And if they're not all out banning transgender surgeries and puberty blockers. They are certainly dialing it back and going back to what's really needed. And this is real good counseling and support. So what was your reaction when you saw this, this statement that I sent you from Denmark? Well, I was thrilled because I thought, finally, I knew that studies like this were going to come. It was just a matter of time. And here's why, because a lot of the research quote-unquote research that we have regarding uh, transitioning youth is not long-term. If you look at a lot of the studies, they follow the kids one year, two years after transition, and that's it. That's not um, a long-term study. What we needed to do was look at people 10 years out, 20 years out. What do they feel like when they're 30 and 40? And we just didn't have that data. And so finally somebody said wait a minute we need to look at how they're feeling a few years after and of course what they found is that a number of these people were wanting to go back to their um original gender uh you know i'm I'm sorry i get confused with the language right their biological gender right and um so this is really startling in other words it shows that through our our treatment of this with puberty blockers and or surgery, we were actually harming a lot of these patients and kids. So where is this going? Because in the United States, we are just, at least it seems to be, pushing forward like 150,000%. There doesn't seem to be any pullback at all. Yeah, yet. I think we will see pullback because a huge part of this um, the surge that we see in kids who are wanting to transition is a fad. And one of the, the best things about the study is that they talk, too, about social pressure. 
and they talk about the fact that it is sort of a monkey see, monkey do, and uh, particularly at girls, because a lot of these are girls who want to transition. We have not been bold enough to do that in the United States, to say that there are clusters of kids who are wanting to transition. And uh, a medical problem doesn't cluster unless it's an infection, like Lyme disease or so forth. If you have um, any other regular problem, you know, lupus or, um, you know, connective tissue disease, anything, it doesn't cluster. It's just sort of uh, random. And when you see a cluster like this, particularly in a psychologically-based issue, you have to realize that there's some peer pressure on it. So I'm glad they at least address that as well. They're talking about a red flag being the high rate, and they have a whole summary here in this in this article that I share with you, of psychiatric comorbidities in currently presenting cases. The authors note that unlike the Netherlands, where gender dysphoric youth reportedly have a relatively low rate of psychiatric comorbidities, in Denmark and other countries, there's a much greater proportion of gender dysphoric youth with comorbidities uh, and mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, self-harming, autism spectrum disorder, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So this is coming up over and over again in these countries that are scaling back, realizing that, again, there are already existing situations that may be sparking this or directly connected to it, right? Exactly. And, you know, that's happening in the United States, but nobody's talking about it or reporting on it. The assumption is if kids come in with depression, anxiety, and so forth, it's caused by the gender dysphoria. Um, I disagree. I believe that the gender confusion uh, dysphoria is caused by the depression and anxiety, and kids are taught that if you have these feelings along with your depression, these feelings of gender dysphoria, that's the root cause. And if you correct that, then the depression anxiety will go away. That's not true. And this is one of the things that really disturbs me about this intervention, uh, is that it doesn't get to the root of the problem, and it leads kids to believe that if you undergo puberty suppression, um, then you will, your depression will go away. And it doesn't long-term. Maybe kids feel better for a year because, because they think, oh, finally, I have the answer and this is going to work. And they feel a momentary elation. But after a while, they realize this isn't the cause. This isn't the cause of depression. And the real tragedy is they don't get the root cause of their depression treated. They're given a quick answer, slapped on a very serious problem that can lead to bigger problems down the road, as we know. Talking with Dr. Meg Meeker, meekerparenting.com, and she's an expert on this topic as a pediatrician. And I'm sure you're seeing, because of all this social media influence and the pressure that you just discussed, probably more patients that are, that are questioning when they come to you or families as well. Oh, cool. uh, absolutely. And what I'm intrigued by is kids will question it um, with a very sort of nonchalant tone. They'll come in and they'll say, well, I'm bisexual or I have gender dysphoria. You know, I think I've had it for a number of years, but now I know I really want to be a boy and I'm 13. What? You know, this is not a nonchalant issue. This is a serious issue 
And I don't believe kids take it seriously. And unfortunately, when they come home and say this kind of thing to their parents, progressive parents will say, oh, yep, okay, let's jump on it. Let's get you help because that's what you need right now. No, 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 no. Um, And so kids who are really ill with a problem have symptoms over and over and over, and they're disruptive, they're life-altering, they're unmistakable. You know, somebody with lupus, for instance, has a rash that appears over and over and over, and, you know, very specific symptoms. Kids aren't having these because it's very hard. The diagnosis of gender dysphoria is very vague. I want to point out another thing. You know, we are seeing... Um, historically, a, a historic surge in the amount of depression, anxiety that we that we have in kids over the past five or eight years. Right. Guess what else has surged? Gender dysphoria over the past five or ten years. Now, I'm not I'm not saying it's a cause and effect, but that's peculiar to me. If you had just gender dysphoria as the problem, you wouldn't see the parallel with depression and anxiety. Just because there's a parallel does not mean it's cause and effect. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of progressive parents, teachers, and doctors are making. And um, it's, having, it's going to have devastating effects on these kids because this will fade out and clinics will close because America is going to catch up to understanding the, re- the uh, research that's going on in other countries. And there's going to be a major oops um, uh, time that's going to come in American medicine. It's still crazy out there. You have people like, and we'll talk about this when we come back, uh, a fellow Michigander, Alice Cooper, is out there talking about the fact that this is a fad, although he's not a medical expert like you. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's out there in the culture and he sees things. He's been around for a while. And he says he's concerned about this fad and saying a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, and this is out of control that a young person can make these kinds of decisions. And then the cosmetic company with whom he's had a contract all of a sudden says, nope, we don't like Alice Cooper anymore. This is what happens here in the U.S. More with Meg coming up. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church, we speak of seven gifts, wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades, and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. What does the Catholic Catechism teach us about the Assumption of the Virgin Mary? The Church professes that she was assumed into heaven, body and soul, honored by her Lord and Son as Queen of all things. By her assumption, she participates in Christ's resurrection and anticipates the resurrection of other Christians. 
She is a preeminent and wholly unique member of the Church as a result of her total obedience to the Father's will and her Son's redemptive work. Thus, she is the Church's model of charity and faith. According to the Catechism, Mary's motherhood in the order of grace continues in heaven. What began with her ascent to the Annunciation continued till she stood under the cross and will not cease until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. She is involved in the church as advocate, helper, mediatrix, and benefactor. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. You're listening to the best of Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamia. Dr. Meg Meeker joining us. Her website is great, meekerparenting.com. I'll have to have her back on soon because she has a, a new program available regarding discipline. And Meg, I think this being that you're talking a lot about guidelines and boundaries for kids and you have this new uh, event and program coming up on, on discipline, I think we were talking during the break that even if parents, let's say they have a more progressive attitude and they tend to, to be very liberal in, in their thought process and, and what they support and what they don't support, you think that most parents, regardless of where they are, if a young person in high school or lower, maybe in grade school, middle school, came to them and said, you know what, mom, I feel really strongly that I can educate myself and I'm going to be fine. I'm going to just stay home and read what I want, stay up all hours of the night because I feel this is important or I feel I need to just eat chocolate because this is where I, you know, um, chocolate is my muse or this is my muse or that's my muse and I'm, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I would think that no matter how liberal the parents are, they would say, sorry, no, you have to have some restrictions. You've got to get up. You have to go to school. Of course, if they have to go to school, or else be, parents could be arrested for truancy. But right. you know what I'm saying? In, in terms of, you know, when you come down to it, basically, I think in most cases, they would understand that the kids can't be, be, be running things. And yet in this area, below the belt stuff, all bets are off, whether it's abortion, whether it's birth control. And now, of course, this new phase of this transgender ideology going on you know you're absolutely right and i think that what happens if you think about it, it's all about setting boundaries with kids and that's why i wrote my simple discipline that works discipline is not a, a nasty thing it's about setting boundaries for your kids on their behavior because they can't make decisions yet because they don't understand cognitively they literally can't wrap their mind around the fact that if I do A, um, if I um, act on something today, it is going to have a consequence B in six months, six years, one year. They literally can't understand that. We can understand that. And that's why we as adults need to intervene and say, no, you can't go past this line. It's not going to work for you. And Interestingly, we very selectively put up boundaries in different areas like school, chocolate, staying up all night. Um, Drinking too much soda, different types of foods kids exactly. get. When they go to the cafeteria, there's all, the, you know, there's all these, this push by the government to make sure kids are not eating junk all day long. Cigarettes. Right. Cigarettes. Alcohol. Cigarettes. Yeah. Alcohol. You know, cigarettes. And, and the, the truth of the matter is, if you said a 14-year-old could smoke cigarettes for five years and then stop, the truth is their lungs would regenerate, they'd be okay. They would be healthier long-term than transitioning a child in youth. And yet look how adamant we are about uh, cigarette smoking, and we demonize people who smoke. 
they're horrible, horrible people. Shouldn't we shouldn't even talk to them or associate with them? And yet, when it comes to something very, very serious, like transitioning a child, we shrug our shoulders and go, "Well, you know, that's a boundary that we need to lift because kids really know." And we have been duped. Healthy parents have been duped into believing that this is a deeply emotional, psychological problem that our kids are having, that if we don't respond in, quote, gender-affirming ways, which I always think, well, which gender are you affirming? Well, you know, that's just like pro-choice and reproductive health. It's just semantics that they put out there because they don't want to talk about mutilating surgeries and dangerous puberty blockers. They they have to come up with the, the new language for it, right? Absolutely. And you wisely brought up the point of um, the financial gain. Mm-hmm. It's a big money maker. Um, and, I, and I don't easily say that um, as a physician, but, but there's a lot to be gained um, by those who are not transitioning, um, you know, money, political clout, um, sort of a bolstering of their progressive mentality and feeling, you know, they're right and they can look at others and go, see, 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 we get it, you don't. It's, it, it, it's, it's really sickening, honestly, because it's so cruel. It's abs- and we're going to have to answer to this, to God yeah. one day. And um, God have mercy on us. That's all I can say. Yeah, it just, it's just, where is this all? All of a sudden, it just skyrocketed in like the last five to 10 years. Yeah. First, the whole thing about so-called same-sex marriage, which I think opened Pandora's box. And now, every time we turn around, this ideology is, is everywhere. And the first time... There was one of those um, drag queen shows at a library. That was a big story. Now they're like happening all over the place. Like it's just a, it's yeah. just something that happens, you know, that's what you do on the weekend or at night. You, know, you go to one of these drag queen story hours, things that we never thought would be acceptable and fine. We've been desensitized. It's like that frog in, in, in the water on the stove. You turn the heat up slowly, right? Yes. You know, we don't accept it. We're forced to accept it. And then we embrace it. And then we promote it. You know, and and I think that's where we get psychologically manipulated. I'm convinced that over 90% of the parents in America do not want this, but they're bullied into silence. And what I'm saying is people, please don't be bullied into um, into silence. We have all the great research to show medically this is not okay for kids. And we've got to at least be be able to stand on the medical science and say, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't a religious or a moral issue. This is a medical issue. It's causing kids harm. Um, And here's the evidence. Um, And there's also a great book that just came out, Miriam Grossman. Oh, I love her. She's amazing. She's She's fabulous. Yeah. She's fabulous. And she's a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Well, she's the one who came out and was was talking about, like you, right, the sexually transmitted diseases and the depression and the suicide, suicidal thoughts around, among young women in colleges. And she's she's counseling all these girls in college, and she's looking at them, and they've got everything together. They've got their degree, they have their scholarships, they exercise, they eat right, but they were being really sexually active, and that was the connection where she found to the depression. It's it's, it's fascinating in terms, and she's not coming at this at all from a religious perspective. No. Nope. No, no, she isn't. And interestingly enough, when she started off reporting this in the STD and so forth years ago, she felt pressured to be anonymous because she knew she was going to get a lot of pushback. Now, you know, that's um, changed 180 degrees and she's right out there and uh, and she's very bold and um, everybody needs to buy her book and read it. 
so that you have um, evidence and you have data to show people, friends, teachers, pastors, anybody, that this is a really bad um, fad and it's a movement. And like you said, you know, we went from sort of 0.01% and the, um, the, the amount of kids showing up in these clinics uh, in I think it skyrocketed 4,000% in the U.S. and 8,000% in Denmark. Come on. Yeah. That's not, that's not a legitimate illness um, rearing its head, rearing its head. It's, it's something else going on here, as I said. It's not a true blue medical illness that we didn't see for years and years and years or that we misdiagnosed right. for many years. And right. it didn't come out uh, along with, uh, you know, a parallel rise in depression, anxiety. So that alone should sound an alarm for parents and teachers and physicians. Yeah. And, and also, if you look at what's happening in these extremely progressive countries, I mean, Europe has been much more liberal, of course, until recent years and here in the United States. So I spent a lot of time over there, so I know. And now they are dialing back big time. Meg, always so informative and helpful to talk with you, Dr. Meg Meeker, meekerparenting.com. Check out her great work, her books, her radio shows, and all of her great advice on parents. We'll be right back. If we think like children, can we get a better workout? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. For many of us, getting a workout means going for a run, lifting weights, or doing some push-ups. But are we having fun doing any of those things? Many experts suggest that we need to incorporate play and fun into our workouts, just like when we were kids. We got plenty of exercise, climbing trees, playing ball, or chasing a friend. Now some personal trainers are incorporating childlike routines in their planned workouts to keep things fresh and filled with fun. The experts suggest that we watch kids at play and mirror their exercise. Kids don't usually run for miles and miles. They run, stop, jump, and play. Then they do it again. They mix things up. They laugh. They still sweat, and they still get out of breath. They get a good workout. We can do the same. For more on playful workouts, head over to our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Miracles are miracles because they're different than regular daily life. A miracle is a reminder that something beyond nature can act within nature. Miracles are meant to open our eyes that more is always going on than just the normal humdrum of the daily life. Miracles are supposed to make us realize that our moral choices are impacting an invisible world that once in a while breaks through into our workaday world. The Blessed Mother predicted the miracle of the Son, and she made it clear that she was using it as proof of the truth of her message. In other words, when the sun stops dancing and you get back to church, to work, to home, remember what's at stake when you pray the rosary. Cresta in the afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
Catholic Connection. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. This program is co-produced by Ave Maria Radio, AveMariaRadio.net, and EWTN.com. If you listen to Catholic Connection on a regular basis, you know that I'm crazy about the saints. wrote a book about my favorite female saints a few years ago, and so excited to talk to Don Marie Butner. She's a convert to Catholicism, and she's written a fantastic book published by our friends at Ignatius Press, all about the saints and it's such the cover is absolutely gorgeous too the leaven of the saints bringing christ into a fallen world don thanks so much for joining us well thank you for inviting me pretty exciting stuff i love talking about the saints so you're a convert to catholicism before we get to the obviously the topic at hand tell us a little about your journey into the catholic faith if you wouldn't mind Sure. Um, so like a lot of people today, uh, I grew up not going to any church, or my family's not Catholic, And but I, I finally, as a young adult, I met a Catholic who took his faith seriously. I happened, I, I ended up marrying him, but, you know, just going to church made a huge difference in my life and finding out that it's not like it is on TV. I mean, so I was educated about religion by our culture, which does not generally by like a dearth, like there's nothing, you know, it just teaches you that there is no reason to turn to God for any of your problems. So when I found out that, you know, found out a little bit more about the faith, I started to study it. I started to call myself Christian because I had been baptized. Um, I eventually, you know, decided to enter the church, and that was really because of our Lord. Um, I fell in love with our Lord. I realized, you know, he, you know there really is a God. Um, and it was the presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament that finally propelled me into the church. Um, that really, uh, you know, like, why why not? <laughs> right. Why not become a Catholic? Well, let's talk about the interest in the saints. Since you're a convert, what drew you to the saints? Obviously, you're going to Mass, and, and you're learning more about the faith. Was there any one incident? I mean, was there something you read that really sparked your interest in the saints? Actually, in my first book I described, uh, which is a, like a daily devotional of saints, I, I, I related the story of this, and this is like I remember the moment. I mean, maybe everybody has situations like this where I remember the moment where I was sitting, um, reading a daily um, collection of saints that I had found, and I knew nothing about the saints, and I met Saint Athanasius. And the short version Ooh. is, he, so so I had never heard of him before, and here he is, this brave man who was forced into exile and could have been killed at any moment, you know, five times over a period of seventeen years, and I. You know, the big revelation for me was I realized I did not even know that I should be asking for perseverance. I didn't realize that this is like, that was a lit a gift you know, from his life to me, that that's something that, you know, I, I, like I said, I didn't even know I should be asking for it. I certainly didn't have it. Um, and that has really been my experience with the saints since then. You know, you look at their lives and they help me draw a straight line between what would Jesus do in this situation and my life? Because I'm sometimes kind of slow and I have a hard time making that connection. But the saints are often able to help me, you know, realize what God is asking me to do in a particular moment. So knowing there are over 10,000 plus saints, how did you decide which ones to include in your book? So my idea for my second book was I, I thought, you know, there are so many saints, it's just overwhelming. And you and you know, probably all your listeners from listening to you, know a lot about saints but it's like so like such a big topic how to get your head around it right so i thought so i thought well there are you know you can learn something about holy priests without you know you don't have to be a priest you can learn something about holy married couples even if you're not married so i thought well i'll group them into categories like by their vocation and talk about some of the greatest ones the ones that are i think are the most inspirational and then when you can learn something about that vocation 
you're also learning something about like how you can apply that to your life, you know, what that matters. So like the you know, fathers of the church, and you can learn something from the martyrs, for heaven's sake, um, um, that could be applicable. So can you describe the saints in the book? Because I know that when I talked to uh, Kevin Wandra, who helped set up this interview, who's a friend of ours who works with us at Catholic Connection and getting us guests, he said, T's going to love this because it includes St. Teresa of Avila. <laughs> so she's in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. Yes, she is. Well, you know, I, I kind of had to limit her. I mean, she could be in so many different chapters. I know, so right? Amazing. Yeah. Um, but, but one of the chapters she's in is in the sec- uh, section on the doctors of the church. So Teresa of Avila... You know, I probably don't need to tell it, your your listeners. Um, you know, was a Spanish um, a, a nun, and she reformed the Carmelite order. So she's also a mystic. You know, she you know she's also you know experienced these amazing things. I mean, this woman who, if you read anything by her, she's just drop dead serious. You know, it's just like completely matter of fact. And then you know she talked about you know the visions of you know hell, and <laughs> just just very disarming in that you know, she's like you know, completely, you know, serious and very intelligent and, you know, really, I often think that, you know, she, she complains about being so chatty, that, you know, you know, talk too much. I think that's your greatest gift. That was, she, she was able, because she was, you know, such a chatty person, loved to talk to people, she was able to express things that, you know, all these people with degrees after names can't explain. Right. Because she's just such a simple, straightforward woman. Well, the one, one of the reasons I love her so much is because there's so many seemingly contradictions, and you just mentioned a big one, you know, very chatty, very outgoing, but her chattiness got her in trouble a lot before she really, even when she entered the convent, was hanging around talking with people that would come and visit. You know, she was doing too much of that. But at the same time, it was her personality that helped her reform the Carmelite order. But then she's also a mystic, and you don't associate in our minds, I don't think we associate mystics with people who are super outgoing and chatty, right? Exactly. Well, and, and one of well, one of my favorite stories about her is like she, you know, she went to all these these very intelligent people with degrees after their names, and you know, one of them said, "I would rather talk to any number of you know other people than this woman who does not even know Latin." You know, mm. <laughs> because and I get the and from the way that it was phrased, I get the impression like she's so far above you, buddy, that you don't yeah. really know what to make of her. <laughs> right. Right. So who else is in the book? Oh, um, okay. So um, there are um, you know some great saints, like uh, great priests, like um, John Vianney and Saint Vincent Ferrer, who is I think a, an amazing saint. We people forget about. You know, we think of them as you know a Jesuit, but uh, or, uh, you know as a, a university. You think you know they, they remember that way. But what, you know, one of the amazing things that he did was you know he was good friends with a man who decided to become a, set himself up as a pope. So when he continued to try to like reconcile the church when there were the church when there were three different men claiming to be popes at the same time, he was willing to turn the back on his friendship with this man to say no, he's he's you know he's, his heart might be in the right place, but his you know the way he's doing this is wrong, and we need to back away from him. So he single-handedly you know kind of helped to reconcile the church during the schism. Um, um, you know, other saints like and I included um, uh, Zeli and Louis Martin, you know, the parents of Saint Therese. Um, I think um, people often think of them, um, you know, that they got canonized because their daughter was a saint, but that's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be pretty holy. Um, uh, and another, like, a fact that I really like about St. Louis and Zeely is we, we think, you know, how wonderful they had five daughters who entered religious life well and, you know, lived this nice middle-class family life. Um, but no, they didn't have five children. They had nine. They, they lost four children 
under the age of five. And I, I can't imagine losing one child, much less four, and what that mm-hmm. might do to your faith. But it did do it to them. But that made them, drew them closer to God rather than pushing them farther away. Were there any saints when you kind of dove into delved into their lives to do before you wrote the book and gathering the research that surprised you? Anything about the saints or a particular saint that surprised you that you didn't know before? In the final chapter of my book, I talk about popes, and um, I think you know, what I tried to do, and I thought, well, you got to include some of the greatest popes because we have had some really holy popes in the history of the church. We've had some, but at the same time, we have to recognize that we've had some that were not holy, that some real stinkers. And, like, how do you explain them and how do you talk about them? You know, some of them are really bad. Um, you know, they, you know they, they did not, you know, you know, alter church doctrine, but they were very scandalous examples to the Christian faithful. And I have to believe that, you know, that God sorts that out. The greater the responsibility, the, the more, you know, you answer to for God, um, which is one of the terrifying things about being a parent. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, um, you know, there have also been some saints where, like, I, I include a story in my in my book. There's a, a Pope, uh, Benedict the uh, Thirteenth, who was a um, who was a um, who was only declared a servant of God, um, in part because uh, even though he lived a holy life, but he chose a, a really bad man to be his secretary of state, and that man, you know, was very greedy and caused a lot of trouble to the church. So. Like the halo effect. You know, so he, you know, he, his, his, personally lived a holy life, but his decisions as pope had ended up, you know, affecting the rest of the church. So those are some, you know, it surprises you the decisions that popes have to make um, over time. I also think, and this is why I love the saints so much, because when we look at their lives, as you've done in this book, we can see that even though they may, there are some very contemporary saints, maybe in the last 100, 125 years, right? You know, the Padre Pios or the John of Bretamolas. But then we look at others in the past, such as the great St. Catherine of Siena or Teresa of Avila, as you mentioned, who dealt with some real things that we're dealing with today. And you just pointed out what some of the popes dealt with or, or may have done through maybe some bad decisions in terms of crises that we are, we are facing today. And Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun and what i love about the saints is they've lived a lot even though it's maybe a different time of what we're living now and sometimes we think that we've never experienced any of this before it may be magnified because we're living in such a media saturated culture but the issues that we're going through may be expressed differently or seem larger but the saints experience much of what we're experiencing today especially with the persecution we're seeing right now Oh, exactly. I think that's one of the great one of the great gifts of the saints is they, you know, you learn about a little history to learn about the saints, and then suddenly you realize, you know, things really they haven't changed that much. You know, human nature is what it is, and it helps put things in perspective. When you know, when right. you, read, you know, read too much news, then maybe you should stop and read a little bit about the saints, and it will exactly. put everything in perspective. Or if you go on pilgrimage, I think that's a great experience, too, if you can go to the tombs of the saints. And before you're going to the particular area, I always encourage people when my husband and I lead pilgrimages, especially to Italy, before you go, read about the saints. Read about, you know, St. Francis of Assisi. Read about uh, St. Catherine of Siena or some of these great saints that we know of in Italy and elsewhere. And look at what they were they were going through at the time and then put it in perspective in terms of what we're seeing right now. We're having a great conversation about the saints with Don Barry Butner's new book, The Leaven of the Saints, from our friends at Ignatius Press, Bringing Christ into a Fallen World. Okay, so do you have a favorite or favorites? Like if you could name your top three, who would they be? 
Oh, okay. So, so, so you've made it easier for me because I, I usually tell people like that's like naming my favorite child. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the other the other thing about it is, you know, I, I have to say my my favorites change. You know, like you know when you when you they're like they're like friends. When you have trouble with a problem, you turn to your friends. Like, how can they help? You know, who can help me with this? Understand how to face this problem. But I mean, our blessed mother has to come at the top. I mean, she is the queen of all queen saints, queen of I'm all saints. Saint. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she and you know it's just you know a, a particular. I don't know. I don't know how men do this, but for women, it's like she's the perfect mom. She's the perfect friend. She's you know she you know she was never impatient. She you know so like so she has to be the top. And I, I'm a big fan of Louis de Montfort. I guess if he might he would come in at the top because I am you know, I'm I'm very fond of Louis de Montfort and the way that he explains um, you know things um, you know our faith in our in in, in, um, in our Lord and our Lady. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I won't steal Teresa of Avila, but we talked about her. Um, Catherine of Siena is another favorite. Um, I, I often come back to her, you know, like, how did she do the things that she did when she was barely educated? I know. And it was, yeah. like, what would she do in this situation? How would she deal with you know, these people? And, well, you know, she just had this, this amazing way of disarming people because she was just so, I keep saying using the word simple, um, and we think that means, like, simple-minded, but not just, you know, she was single-focused about, she loved our Lord and was not, you know, didn't let herself get distracted like I do. Dawn, thank you for uh, converting to Catholicism. We're glad you're all in the pool with us. We appreciate it. The Leaven of the Saints is the book, Bringing Christ into a Fallen World, published by Ignatius Press. Our guest has been Dawn Maria Butner. Her website, dawnbutner.com. Her last name is spelled B-E-U-T-N-E-R. Again, The Leaven of the Saints, beautiful book. And I always say we got to get to know our saints. So important. We'll be right back. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. CMF Curo is the Catholic health care option you've been searching for. From concierge service to ethical consultations to partnerships with one of the nation's largest health care sharing ministries, CMF Curo offers a pro-life, Catholic approach to your overall health and well-being. Find out today if CMF Curo is right for you. Call 833-GET-CURO. That's 833-G-E-T-C-U-R-O or visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to Catholic Connection. And just remember, if you're a new listener or not, if you've been on board with us for a while, you may not know that we are co-produced, actually, by Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. And you can find us both online, all kinds of great resources, at EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. Now, I give you those websites quite often because I want to remind you, if you heard something on the show today, yesterday, last week, you can go to those websites and you can go to the archive sections or you can look them up and we have records of them for you. And if you heard, let's say, maybe about a book or a document, you can certainly go to EW10 in their religious catalog to order an item, or you can look up any type of encyclical or papal document or information about any of our shows there as well. So these are great resources in addition to great Catholic radio every day. We'll see you next time on Catholic Connection. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.